that you would like uh, prayers for, please fill out a card. You can put those in either the offering tray up there or the offering tray back there. Jim will be uh, collecting those toward the end of the sermon. So, uh, and I'm not bothered if you stand up and have to go do something. That's no problem with me. Uh, so we are, are continuing our series and concluding it today called Christmas Cards, where we are, are considering uh, the messages that come to us at heaven, what it shows us that Christ comes to, to, to earth, the fact that we get the chance to consider and think about uh, the, what Christ's coming means. And as I've been saying during this series, I don't know about you, but I desperately need Christmas every year. I need the reminder of what it means that Christ has come to earth. And I'm so thankful in a world that lives almost rhythmless, to have this time that is a good rhythm for us to pause and think about, okay, what is it that we mean that Christ came to earth, that Christ comes to be with us? And there's so many vast implications for what Christ, mean, Christ coming to earth means. And I also love the fact that during the seasons I've mentioned that we get Christmas cards where we get to see our friends from all over uh, the country. It's one of the few times of year where I'm excited to go to the mailbox and actually look at things that's not bills or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and I've been finding some good Christmas cards throughout this series. There's one that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know if that's legal or not, but uh, I got to say I wanted to do that yesterday with uh, our, our son because uh, we found that our refrigerator was not working and it is because someone had turned it off. So we had to, we had to have a tough conversation. And uh, he he actually said, I don't know that I did. I think an animal got in there. And I was like, uh, I'm not so sure about that. So we might be sending that card later this year. Uh, one thing that I think is as we come to the Christmas season, if we uh, want to get our hearts in the right place and, and put our, our, our minds in the, the right sort of perspective, we would ask ourselves a question, how do we know that we're celebrating Christmas right? And we want to celebrate it as would be appropriate in a way that would honor Jesus, right? That would honor the King, that would honor the one that is the Lord of our lives, that we want to try to dedicate our lives to. And that has implications for the entire year, but definitely we want to think about this from the perspective of a Christian at Christmas. What does it look like to be a Christian at Christmas? And we can sometimes think about that in the wrong ways as Christianity has its, its war on Christmas, and that's not always great. Here's a quote from an article a couple years ago about an event that happened. The so-called war at Christmas is getting out of hand as Salvation Army bell ringer Christian Vendola found out recently in Phoenix, Arizona, she wished a woman happy holidays as she stood outside Walmart collecting funds. The stranger responded, do you believe in God? You're supposed to say Merry Christmas and punched her in the arm, reported ABC News. Like, you're not celebrating the Prince of Peace. Let me show you with like a little punch. As we think about celebrating Christmas right, unfortunately, that might be what comes to mind to you. Like, you know, we ought to make sure that everybody's saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. And many of us are always, eh, that's not really as important as some people might think it is. But then what does it look like? How are we supposed to celebrate Christmas? I think we learn a lot from what is maybe one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture, the Magnificat that Mary sings as she receives the, the news about Christ coming and what that means for her, the implications then that just literally like pour out of her as she sings. So I want to think about that just for a few minutes today. Luke chapter 1, Mary sings uh, this in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, unless you're Protestant, for the mighty ones 
has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So as Mary sings, she tells us a lot about what God is like. From generation to generation, what God has done previously, and then what God will continue to do. That God will continue to be mindful of those who are humble. That God will continue to work in the lowly, the people who you wouldn't expect. Mary is saying, I'm somebody who's humble. I have a humble state, yet God has worked through me. She sings this beautiful song. And sometimes I think as we think through this year, we get it right a little bit. Uh, Lars and Justin, as they spoke about Christmas uh, earlier this month, they brought up the Charlie Brown Christmas, and that you might have watched it this year. Charlie Brown gets that not-so-great Christmas tree, and then his friend declares exactly what Christmas is supposed to be about. The Charlie Brown Christmas special first aired on December uh, 9th, 1965. And this was before there were hundreds of channels and all those Christmas Hallmark movies that make you cry. So there wasn't that much else on TV. And so estimates are that half of all Americans watched it the first time that it showed. And estimates are that still six million people watch this every year. It's the second longest running Christmas show. The first one is this next one, Rudolph. This doesn't have a picture of Rudolph, but it has the island of misfit toys, right? We watched this uh, preparing for Christmas with, with our son, and he and I were eating popcorn and watching this, and it's really interesting. It tells a story about Rudolph and this one elf who wants to be a dentist. And they're just like, oh, that's a horrible idea. It's like a total slam on dentistry, apparently. But in their journeys, they go to this island of misfit toys that are just like, just a little bit wrong, like they really aren't appropriate for kids to be playing with, and so they eventually rescue not only Christmas itself, but also these misfits. And the message is uh, that God, I think in some ways, even though it doesn't really declare this, that God is lifting up the lowly, right? The unexpected people. So Charlie Brown has a scraggly Christmas tree. Rudolph visits an island of misfit toys, and eventually they become an important part of the story. And praise God, that is the message of Christmas. I think it's something that we all embrace. If you're a big sports fan, I think you recognize that this is an image that we all have in us that I believe is given to us by God. Because if you flipped on a bowl game during the season when there's like a hundred different bowl games that happen and you don't really care about either team, it's likely that you're going to root for the underdog. That's true not just in sports, but in all sorts of arenas. We love it, like a good underdog story, somebody who overcomes everything and does something unbelievable with their lives. Those are the stories that that we lift up. Unless it is your team that's playing, you're going to root for the underdog. I think that is a way that we are connected to the image of God. That we want to see the humble lifted up. We want to see those who are lowly. So I know for some of us, we've had an extremely hard year, and you might be one of those people who's like, I'm ready to get out of 2017, and that's fair. Because for some of us, it's been a difficult season, it's been a hard year, 
And the message I think that Mary's Magnificat gives to you if you are in that season, it's been a rough one for you, God is on your side. God is with you in this place. As you're dragging into the Christmas season, maybe it's going to be fun for you, maybe it won't be, maybe you'll be by yourself and it's a little bit difficult for you, but as you're there, God is with you. Mary says, God was mindful of the humble state of me. I believe God is mindful when we are in a humble state as well. So for some of us, that's the sermon for you right there. God is with you as you're going through some difficult times. God is mindful. There are some implications for all of us in this song, and some are a bit difficult. Look at the kind of ways that Mary sets this up. I, I see two states of mind that God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. God's mercy extends to those who fear him. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. But on the other side of the humble, there's the powerful. He's brought rulers down. He, sits the rich, he sends the rich away empty. He's scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts. I have to be honest with you as I look at these two columns and this might be true of you as well, I'm typically more on on this side of the column than the other side of the column. If I'm going hungry, it's because I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight or perhaps spending some time in fasting. And I know it's easy for us to not consider ourselves that wealthy or that powerful or that important because there's always someone that's a little bit more than you. But the fact is, most of us likely are in the top 10% of the world's wealth. When Mary speaks about those who are humble, those who are hungry, I often am on the other side of the ledger. What is good news for those who are oppressed, those who are lowly, is news for those of us that are more powerful. We need to consider and prayerfully think about how we could be part of bringing more good news to the lowly. How we could all be part of lifting up those who are humble. Because this is what God has called us to. A friend of mine uh, who's a preacher sent me a a story uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, this is a great story if you want to use it during a a Christmas sermon. I was like, thank you very much. That's very helpful. And uh, he writes about uh, a friend of his, as a missionary, and he works in South Sudan in Africa. And it's a place that has been torn by, by war and lots of different horrific things. And he said that he was working in that area, and he found a, a dump. And in that dump, there were people living there, including a woman who had a couple kids. A baby who was six weeks old was one of them. And he described this scene uh, like this. All of a sudden, I heard some crying in the background, and it sounded like it could have been a baby. I wasn't sure where to look. After surveying the scene, I found this crying noise coming from a shredded canvas sack that was being held on the back of a tall, slender woman. I continued to hear the crying, and I turned to the woman and pointed to her back. She gave me a huge smile from ear to ear and turned around so she could show me her recently born child that she towed around on her back as she scavenged the dump site. We then found out that her child was less than six weeks old. What's more, she told us, she delivered the baby herself on the dump site with no assistance. 
I was speechless and took a moment to myself. Here's a picture of this woman. She's gathering things from this dump site and her older son is holding her child. And what's striking to me about this scene is this is way more like the story of Christ's coming than how all celebrate Christmas. I don't know about you, but for me, all celebrate Christmas by eating way too much, exchanging gifts, spending time in a warm, comfortable environment, with some friends and family. This sort of scene won't be really anywhere near my radar as I'm experiencing that. And I don't tell you this to make you feel guilty because I think guilt is a horrible motivation for for change and actually doing good things in the world. I just tell you this to make you aware that if we aren't mindful, that if we don't think about how we can be part of lifting up the lowly, how we can join in God's work in the world. We can forget that this is the story of Christmas likely better than how we celebrate it. A woman giving birth on a dump site with no assistance. But we believe the provocative and unbelievable story that God is there. And as a church, we strive to, to do good work in the world. We've supported Chris and Crystal Settlemeyer, who work in a place not too different from this, who do some great work. Uh, their organization uh, blesses thousands and thousands of kids who live in some of the most horrible conditions in the world. And not only that, extending out beyond uh, what we do here, we just hosted Family Promise as a church, and we had four families who stayed in our church building thanks to all the work that that people do. And we just got a couple emails this week that two of those families have found permanent housing. We say praise God for that. And it's not because of who we are. It's because we believe that this is the kind of work that God does, that God lifts up the lowly. But I think we all have to watch ourselves when it comes to the issue of pride. And pride is something really you could do lots of sermons to think through, but just in one succinct way, I would describe pride as self-centeredness. It's navel-gazing that we can all get a little bit too connected to ourselves and think about our own stuff and our own story, protecting our own image. We can get so caught up in that. I recently told a story about how um, in Honolulu, They've had to start finding people who are walking across crosswalks looking at their phones. In a world that actually needs that law, we desperately need to hear the message that we need to look up every once in a while. There's way more people in this world than us. And it matters how we treat them. One consistent theme in Paul's letters, in fact, in every single one of Paul's letters to a New Testament Christian, He talks about humility, and he says, be humble. One example of that is in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. 
And it shocks me a little bit that he writes this to early Christian communities because generally early Christian communities were people who weren't very powerful, who didn't have very much in the way of like power and, and wealth in their society. Sometimes they were, but generally it was slaves and people who were attracted to the message that everybody had worth and everybody had value. But yet even in these early Christian communities, Paul over and over and over again is just slamming into their heads, be humble. Be humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The brother of Jesus, James, as he's writing to an early Christian community, he said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word that is used there in Greek is antisomai, which means literally God squares himself up against the proud. Like if you want to fight with God, be proud, be too self-centered. God opposes the proud. It's so easy for us to focus on ourselves, to not lift up the lowly who are in our communities and in our world, to not live with a sense of humility. OkCupid released a study a couple years ago. It's an online dating site if you weren't familiar. And on OkCupid, they introduced, they did a story about how hard it is to do online dating because people generally aren't too honest about themselves, shockingly, um, on online dating sites. That shows up in the picture that you see because it might be the best angle or the best picture that person has ever taken that somehow shows up uh, in their um, profile. And they said one thing that was interesting is they uh, looked at some of the men specifically that were on their site. And statistics say that 1% of the world uh, is our, our genius level, what people would call genius level. And somehow on OkCupid, 40% of the men were genius level. Uh, I don't even understand how that's possible. I mean, I guess it just takes a genius to navigate that, that website. So yeah, if you're looking for a genius, go there, ladies. Uh, OkCupid apparently has it together. We can so easily think of ourselves more highly than we ought to focus too much on what it is that's going on in our lives. And that's one reason why I love the story of Christmas, which reminds us once again to come around a manger, to admire a baby, one who could have come as a king sitting on a throne but chooses to enter the world in this humble way. And then Paul, as he continues to write about what this life looks like, he over and over again says, be humble, be humble, be humble. C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, says it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. What would it look like for you as you celebrate Christmas to just think of yourself a little less? to think about how you can bless those who need a good word, who need some hope, how you could be part of lifting up the lowly because this is what God is like. There's a great story in an interview with Denzel Washington several years ago about how he started to feel once he started to get some success. He was getting some big movie roles, starting to make some pretty good money. And he was on important lists and getting more and more significant. And he 
said to his mom at a Christmas time gathering, he said, wow, like, look at what I've done and the money that I'm starting to make. And his mom, like uh, any good mama would, said, so you did this yourself. I've got something else you can do yourself. Go mop the kitchen floor. He said that it's his family which helps to to keep him humbled and to keep him grounded. And I hope that you'll get to spend some time with family and friends that help to keep you humble and grounded. Because it's our families and close friends that know the very best of us and also the worst of us who help us to recognize that we aren't the center of the world. What does it look like for us to celebrate Christmas, right? I think it looks like us lifting up those who are lowly and living with a sense of humility ourselves. I ran across a a quote from Bob Goff this week, who's a fantastic author and speaker. He said, later in his life, I bet the innkeeper wished he'd made more room than he thought he had for Jesus. Me too. I think that quote perfectly illustrates what Christmas truly is all about. And it's my hope that today as we celebrate Christmas Eve and then as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow, we can think about how we can make more room for Jesus in our lives. Maybe even more than we even thought possible. Because God has given us this great gift. A couple questions to think through as we celebrate this Christmas season. What are you doing to lift up the lowly? And what are you doing to work on your pride? What would it look like for you to think a little bit less of yourself and to do the work that God has called you to to lift up those who are in need? May we truly provide room for Jesus. I wanted to, to close our sermon time today with a time of communion. One of the things that I love about Churches of Christ is that we value communion and take it together every single week because it truly is the center of our service. And you can't, I think, honestly take communion with pride about yourself. Taking communion is is saying, I don't have it all together. I need the love of Christ. And I had it last week, and I need it again this week because I forgot. It's a way of, once again, coming around the table and saying, God, I need you to be the center of my life. I want to allow your love to be the thing that I live from. And Christ gathers us around the table, not because of our accolades or what we've accomplished, because we are deeply loved by God. We'll now enter into a time of communion that I'll pray for. And uh, you can take the bread and the cup at the same time. There's one up, up front and at the back uh, here. There's also a place that you can leave an offering if you'd like. We won't be passing at trays today. And I hope that as you gather around this table, you recognize the call, the true humility, to not think less of yourself, but to think less about yourself. Let's pray together. 
God, as we share in this time of communion, may we recognize that it is us declaring that your love defines us. May we recognize that it's a chance for us all to hear your word spoken over us one more time, that you are welcome here. Father, you are in the business of lifting up the lowly. May we join you in that work and find ways to continue to provide room for you in our lives. Father, thank you for the Christmas season, which reminds us of your goodness, your love, and your mercy. May we truly hear the word spoken to us that we are all welcome here, that we're loved by you. Your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.